Well, good morning. Good morning again. It's good to be with you this morning. We've been going through a series on the letters, a couple of the New Testament letters. We're taking on Philippians today, starting in chapter 4. And that's exactly what these letters are. They're letters from a friend to a community. And so we'll be engaging with part of that letter that Paul wrote to this community at Philippi many, many moons ago in hopes that it can speak to us today in a new way as we seek to live our lives and to live out our faith. So when I was uh, sitting with this passage, it reminded me of my first, one of my first classes when I was in seminary. It was spiritual formation, and I had a professor who, in the kind of class ground rules, wrote, give and presume welcome. Okay, give and presume welcome. Now, I remember reading through these kind of class guidelines, and I remember thinking, well, what do you do if you're not welcome, right? Have you ever been in a space where you actually knew you weren't welcome? Someone maybe indirectly, in that very nice Minnesota way we do sometimes, <laughs> let you know that you weren't particularly welcome, or overtly said to you, you're not welcome here. So I remember sitting with this and being a little cranky about it, thinking, well, what am I supposed to do? I know that there are people who actually don't want me here. How am I supposed to act like I have welcome? I mean, I can extend welcome, but how can I presume it? Now, like any good question or conflict that one can't quite resolve, this sat with me and actually rather got in my craw for quite a number of years. What does it mean to give and presume welcome? I'm going to unpack that a little bit in conversation with this passage from Philippians. We'll start, though, at the beginning of chapter 4. So if you have a pew Bible, your phone, or anything, and you want to pull it out and follow along, you are very welcome to do so. I will not think that you're randomly texting your children if you're on your phone. So with that, we'll start in verse 1. So this first part of what's going on in the letter is it seems that there's some, or this part of the letter, there's some sort of conflict that has arisen between two women. Now, a couple interesting notes about this in view of the larger text of Philippians. The one that it's a a little bit odd that this conflict is being named here because Philippians is one of the letters from Paul where it seems very clear that there actually isn't a lot of conflict. This church seems to be really humming along, they're doing really well, Paul's really excited about it, and so in chapter four, suddenly there's this name conflict, and it's like, oh, that's interesting. So even places that have really great things going on still have some conflict sometimes. Can I get an amen? Because we all probably know that from our lives, and even in our best relationships, conflict can come up, and it happens as part of our growth. Although I will say, if you look at most commentaries, they focus on the conflict that is named in these verses. And it's often named in a way that's a little bit tropic uh, and maybe not particularly favoring of women. Because we all know that women can't get along. Can I, don't amen me on that. (laughs) Right, so in some of the commentaries, this has been the thing that people have focused on is, oh, well, there's, the problem is that these ladies are just squabbling. What do you do, the ladies? In fact, when uh, many commentators also have suggested that maybe we could dig a little deeper into what's going on, which not shockingly I would like to do. 
So, thinking about what's going on with this conflict, a couple of name, things that I actually want to name as we look at the text. The first thing is, do you notice what Paul's saying about them? Paul is calling them co-laborers. He's naming them as missionaries, folks who have labored alongside of him and others. Okay, this is really great and beautiful and revolutionary, that what's happening as the gospel is spreading is that everyone is telling this good news. Everyone is living it out. That the kingdom of God and that this new missionary movement isn't just for the men. It's for everybody. They are co-laboring with him. And he focuses on this, repeating in Greek three different times about how they have helped and struggled and worked with. David Fredrickson, who is a biblical scholar, just comments really deeply on how they are co-leaders with Paul, even co-athletes in the Greek. That doesn't often make it in the translation. And he notes what an amazing thing this is for this to be named here. So whatever the reason that conflict comes up, because it always comes up in human community, Paul is speaking to them to encourage them, hey, remember we're in this together. You're co-laborers together. And in fact, challenges and encourages the community more broadly to also support them in that work. Support them as they're working through this. Now, we don't know all of the reasons for why this may be the case, but definitely this is part of the encouragement to them as co-laborers in this work. Give and presume welcome that each of us, in the midst of our conflicts, in the midst of our humanity, that we are invited to both give to one another and to presume welcome, even when we're disagreeing. He continues from here then, speaking more about the good news of the gospel and inviting the people to be gentle and to rejoice. Some of you may have, in reading that, have called to mind that song, Rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Anybody? I see a few head nods in there, right? Um, So that's invitation to them to rejoice, and I want to say a few things about that. Now, joy is something that we might not always feel. Anyone else not always feel that? Right? So hearing these words from Paul, I don't want you to hear me today with a battering ram being like, you must be joyful people. Because that inspires a lot of joy, right? (laughs) If I start yelling at everyone. No, no, indeed. I think even as Nicole, your prayer beautifully suggested for us, there's so much more depth and invitation here in what Paul is naming. There's a concept in uh, psychology known as spiritual bypassing. It's a concept that names what happens when we employ our faith so as to navigate around challenging issues that might come up in our lives. Spiritual bypassing is the notion that we use faith to say we see a suffering person in front of us. We don't know how to deal with it, and so we immediately go to, oh, well, the Lord is good, and we run away. Spiritual bypassing is literally, right, you bypass the issue or the problem. 
In this text, and indeed if we look at the witness of scripture and of Paul's words, it's not that we're supposed to bypass or get beaten into us joy. No, instead, it's an invitation to know the God who is with us. The God who is with us no matter what we encounter in life. No matter what comes before us, no matter what we are feeling, no matter that God is with us in that space. That God is present and healing and holding us in the midst of all this. So that the joy and the rejoicing isn't something that's a forced external thing, but something we begin to know within our bones as we are healed. I'm going to throw one more psychological concept at you, and that will max out at two today, just so you know. The second one that I wanted to bring forward is this um, attachment theory. Attachment theory is a field of psychological study that looks at the way that our earliest childhood experiences form us. If we believe that we are safe in the world or not. Were your caregivers able to show up in a way that was consistent, that was appropriate, that cared for you when you cried as a little baby? If they were, formed within you was a deep belief that your needs would be met, that you would be safe in the world. Well, for many of us, for all sorts of reasons, our caregivers weren't able to do that. And when our caregivers are inconsistent, or volatile, or angry, or not present, we aren't able to live in the world in a way that we can trust easily. We don't think we'll get our needs met because indeed we haven't. Now the thing about this is just because you grew up in a particular way, it doesn't mean that you are doomed for the rest of your life to just sit in that space to never be able to trust, to never know joy, to never be able to do the healing. In fact, psychology shows and, and research studies are evidence that healing can happen. Now why I bring this up is because I love when things we know about, whether it's neuroscience or we're learning through psychology, animate truths that the Bible speaks of and truths that I'm sure many of you know from your own life, which is you've experienced healing. Experience that even if you felt like you weren't at home for your whole life, all of a sudden through the love of Jesus, you were like, I am seen, I am safe, I am held, I am cared for. Has anyone else had an experience of faith that they knew that, that suddenly they were home and they were loved. This is part of why our first core value that we name is welcome beloved. Out of a deep sense that in this community we're a people who believe that through encountering Jesus, we are changed and transformed and we want to be a people who extend that kind of welcome to one another. When Paul then here writes about rejoicing, it's that invitation to know more deeply within our skin the joy that can be ours as we know ourselves at home and seen and safe and cared for. Okay. Let me make this like personal so that that way if you're like, Sarah, you're really abstract right now, I don't totally know what you're talking about, but something about Jesus and joy. Okay, stick with me. 
So here's the deal. As I um, was growing up, I would say that there would been, have been a period when you would have met me in, in my life, and I was a larger-than-life personality. My freshman year of college, I knew everyone at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Well, almost everyone. I was like this all the time. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm not going to actually yell because you'll all run screaming out of the room because it would be so loud, right? And part of that was absolutely authentic, that I wanted people to know that they were loved and that they were seen and that they were cared for. And yet underneath that was also a deep haunting that I didn't believe that I was a loved or I was enough. And at night when I was alone, I was sure that no one actually liked me. Oof. And through time and the continued work, both in therapy and in God's healing work in all things in my life, I began to trust and believe a little bit more that I was loved. Now, you still might argue that I might have a little bit of a large personality and be a little bit gregarious. I hope you think at least that sometimes. Because I genuinely love folks and I want them to know that they are loved. But it's through that work that, that the joy has become something deeper, something that flows out from that place of transformation. And this is where, as Paul writes about, to think about what is good and noble and true because it like changes us, right? Have any of you ever tried like a gratitude practice where each day you name a thing for which you're grateful and then you notice little bit by little bit, oh, I'm a little more grateful now, right? Rejoice in the Lord always isn't a rejoice, people. It's both an invitation to know the joy of knowing ourselves loved and seen by the God of the universe, and we live out joy then. And it's also an invitation to, as we consider the things of life that ground and hold us, we know what that joy feels like. God invites us then into this continued healing work to the place where we can both give and presume welcome. We can give welcome one to another because we ourselves have known what it is to be welcomed. To be welcomed in all that we are by the God of the universe. And then we presume welcome as well because we know that in these skins, in this flesh, in your actual body, that God has made you as you are, that you are loved as you are, and then we can show up everywhere and be like, I might not be your cup of tea, but God made me a good one, right? <laughs> and then hopefully, we can continue to animate the spirit of life in and with one another. And so then maybe to go back to verse one, we can remember in the midst of our conflicts and in the midst of difference that God has made and fashioned us all, that there is beauty and joy and wonder as we co-labor together to be people who embody this good news. So may you know that you are welcome. May you hear Jesus saying that to you anew this day. And may you live as if you are welcome, 
And as you do that, maybe a little bit more, you will do the rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. May the joy of the love of God meet you anew this day. Let us rejoice now and always.